0: Hopefully, guys, you can watch some energy today, because um, we've been the last, uh, I don't know, three months, we've been kind of going through some series, and usually our rhythm is usually a series that's usually topical, and then we go through a book of the Bible. And uh, this summer, we kind of spent, I don't know, three months in Acts, so we kind of did a little series. But uh, today, before we jump into Advent next week, which is kind of another series, we are going to go through an entire book of the Bible today. You all ready? Hey, come on now. Hey, but I will tell you, it's one of the shortest books of the Bible, if not is the shortest. So, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Jude. Uh, The last book is the book of Revelation. It's the book right before Revelation. And uh, we're going to just, we're just going to chew this up the next 35 minutes. So, grab your seatbelts. It's... his opening line kind of says it all. Um, he wishes it could be something, you know, of just like man salvation or something fun, but yet there was a, a need for him to to bring this word uh, to this letter, the who the, where the churches went. And uh, anyway, we're going to dive in. So, uh, love me some God's word. Hopefully, you do too. And uh, so, let me set this up uh, in in Jude. Jude, there's actually, there's 25 verses, there's 613 words, which is coincidentally the same amount of laws the Jews had in the Old Testament. Um, But it is basically a fighter's manual for the believer, a fighter's manual for the believer. Uh, I don't know if you knew, but uh, we are not, we don't live on a playground, we live on a battleground or battlefield. And uh, we, we kind of have to prepare ourselves uh, for the reality of that. And uh, sometimes we can come in and like to be, a, you know, live in a playground, but really we live in a battlefield. Well, Jude is the brother of James, the leader, uh, apostle, uh, who happened to be also Jesus' brother. Uh, Jesus's you could say, uh, half-brother, um, so, this is Jude is the youngest of Jesus' family. He was, he was a, a brother of Jesus, uh, son of Mary. And uh, none of either James nor Jude believed in Jesus before the resurrection uh, and Pentecost. They, they, I mean, imagine somebody in your own family proclaiming to be Messiah Right? I mean, of, one, of all the people you know in the world, you know the people who live in your house and all the fractured kind of nests that they, that they live with. And so, of course, you know, it would be, they, they would be the last people that would follow their older brother and give their lives for. But at the resurrection, everything turned, and James and Jude became leaders in this new emerging kingdom, that God had planted on the planet earth. And so, many Christians know of Jude, uh, but it's often overlooked, and we really don't really have any clue as to what's in it. But today, we're going to remedy that. Amen. So, uh, it's not only a fighter's manual, but it's also a book of apostasy, uh, those who have defected from the true faith, or, or as Jude will say, the faith. Um, He's he, he, His target is leaders and people that have gotten into the church that were apostates. Uh, They have defected from the true faith. They're they're Christians in name only. Uh, They think, believe, and behave in a way that opposes the faith. So we're going to get into some, some serious business, but before we do, let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we came here to experience you, I believe... Lord, not just to uh, get out and about, Lord, not just to see a friend or two, but, God, we came to commune with you, to hear from you. And, God, I pray that your word would do that work. Father, we pray that your word would speak to us, God, challenge us, encourage us, correct us if need be. But, Lord, our heart is open to say, God, we, we just want to hear from you today. And so with that, Lord, we give this time and attention to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, let's just dive right in. Jude, verse 1. There's no, like, chapter. It's just Jude, okay? So Jude, verse 1 through 3. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Interesting, knowing that he's the brother of Jesus, but yet he's just a servant. Of Jesus. Shows his humility. To those who are called, that's the audience, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may grace, may, sorry, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. So it's a nice little introduction, nice little introduction. Uh, It's to those who are called. So the audience is to people who claim that they follow Jesus. All right, so if you're here today and you're like, hey, I'm not there yet, hey, this letter is for them, all right? So uh, that's the audience. Verse 3, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write exhorting you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I was very eager, I'd rather bring you something that we could all celebrate and cheer and have joy on, but yet, he says, I found it necessary. You could say, uh, in other words, I felt pressured by the Holy Spirit, I'd, I'd much rather be talking about these things, but yet this pressure from the Holy Spirit is convicting me, I have to tell you this, I'm exhorting you, contend for the faith. That word exhorting is a uh, it is the same thing a general gives when it gives orders to his soldiers an exhortation it is almost short of a command it is an exhortation of uh, to his audience and what is it to contend for the faith put up a good fight defend the truth contending is an athletic term. And the, the, the image picture, as if an athlete is straining almost to the point of agony, he's contending. And that's the kind of contending Jude is encouraging his listeners that they need to muster up inside of them to contend for the faith. And he says, contend for the faith. It's not just your individual little faith. That's not what he's referring to here. Not just contend for your feeling of faith, it's contending for the faith. It's not just your subjective spiritual experiences, but it refers to the body of Christian truth. Or the apostle's doctrine would be another way to say it. Are we contending for the truth? And so he's being very definitive here. And he says, it was for once, for all time given very declarative, that what God has desired to proclaim to humanity has been said once for all time. There isn't a 21st century postscript to the Bible. There's there's not the Koran nor the Book of Mormon. What God wanted to say, He has said it. This word contending could also be interpreted as being contentious. And that's definitely not what Jude is getting at. We can can contend without being contentious. Or maybe as Peter said, that if we were to uh, defend our faith or to give an account for our faith, we do that with gentleness and respect as a follower of Jesus. We do that with a certain tone because of our life being submitted to Him. There's this old... Testament story where the nation of Israel, they were in exile in Babylon after their nation kind of declined and fell. They're in exile. And uh, there's a man named Nehemiah who wants to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so uh, the king of Babylon actually grants him permission to go back and uh, he rebuilds, he begins rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And as he's doing it, uh, the people who are building the walls, they're still enemies. The walls are now, they're now defenseless. And so as these people were building the wall, they would have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. They're simultaneously building and defending what God is wanting to do. And that's the picture that Jude is giving us, is build and defend the faith. So Jude 4, here we go. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated, or yes, for this condemnation, ungodly people who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. These people have slipped in unnoticed. They pretend to be Christians, but yet they may even sing the songs. They even may, may even lead. But Jesus warned that these, there's false teachers, that there's leaven that wants to get in God's dough of what He's trying to build to corrupt the entire loaf. Peter mentions this. Paul mentions False teachers, apostates, man, they're coming. Even Paul said this to Timothy Now, the holy, in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. And that's straight up Paul saying, hey, there is, there's going to come a time. Well, Jude is declaring, that time has come. There are already people here. So as these people were warning, Jude is declaring, they're here. They're here. Ungodly men, ungodlike in their thinking and in their living. Paul said in another way, they have a form of godliness, but yet they deny the power. And Jesus warned, like I said, there's a little leaven that works through the whole lump they're manipulators of grace. For them, grace gives them permission to satisfy their lusts. But it also, they also encourage others in their lustful p- desire for pleasure, success and happiness. Pleasure, success and happiness. There's a lot of messaging that come out of churches that are that. And they will even use Scripture to promote that fractured belief system. They want everybody to agree with their redefinition of morality. And each generation, I will say this, each generation faces this battle. Each generation faces the battle of how the world is going to define humanity versus how God has made humanity. Come on. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor, teacher, a couple hundred years ago said this, The new views are not the old truth in a better dress, but deadly errors with which we can have no fellowship. Very definitive. And in the spirit of love, beloved, Jude feels compelled to tell the truth. Now, an individual can be an apostate or defect, but also whole churches or even whole denominations can be apostate, and have defected. Paul said that Satan can even disguise himself, often disguises himself as an angel of light in that the teaching or the thing that he wants to help enslave humanity, he makes it seem like it's actually really a good thing. Like it's maybe, a, uh, man, there's more freedom here. Man, isn't that always been the accusation? God wants to keep this thing from you, but yet, if you would just go against, man, the freedom you would experience. And yet, when you follow that individual journey as they've denied walking to, with God's ways and wanting the freedom that the world provides, you follow their life a year, 5, 10, 20. Are they healthier? Are they more beautiful? Are they cultivated? Do they have more joy in their life? Or has the world begun to diminish, to tamp down, to put a ceiling on, to crush dreams, those things that you wanted in life, and yet la- and then later, you realize, man, I was sold a bill of goods, and now I'm finding that the thing that I tried to build my life on is purposeless. Or I've caused so much chaos. Most forms of wickedness are perversions of the truth. So Jude keeps going. Let's go. Verse 5, But now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who didn't believe. And remember, the angels who didn't stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, He has kept an eternal change under gloomy, change, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Man. So Jude is bringing this issue up and then he's calling upon their memory. Truth needs a memory. What you have already learned, calling it into the present. Lessons. Lessons have to be remembered in order for them to be active. You've learned a lot in your life, but that truth doesn't become activated until you remember, oh man, that's true. Remembering. We have a high propensity to forget. And God knows this, and that's one of the reasons why uh, they would would celebrate Passover. Uh, They would celebrate Passover. Why? Because... Uh, they needed to remember the past, what God had done, that God had delivered them out of Egypt, supernaturally, but they needed to remember. We do that to remember Jesus' sacrifice of His body and blood, and we remember through communion. Second Peter 1 says this, "Therefore I, always intend, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth you have, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body to stir you up in the way of reminder. There's this, there's this power of just having somebody call into memory something in the past. Now, Jude's recalling the memory of God's judgment here, and that too has a history. He gives us three examples. There's unbelief after Egypt. God delivered them, out of slavery, supernaturally leads them out into the wilderness, into the promised land. A two-week journey takes 40 years because they didn't want to let Egypt's ways out of their heart. They were still enslaved. So, they kept grumbling and complaining against God. He finally gets them to the foot of the promised land. They send out scouts, and they come back. Two guys have a report of faith saying, Come on, God said we can do this. Let's do this. But ten came back and said, No, no, they're too big. There's giants in the land. They're going to they're gonna defeat us. And the whole nation believed the voice of the ten, and they, and they went back into the wilderness. And God said, I can't have a people like that. So he waited until all that generation died off, and then they were allowed to go back and go into the promised land. The second story, you bring about angels not staying with their own position of authority. Some think that this might refer to Genesis 6. Some might refer to, man, this happened to the, at the crucifixion. Uh, there, there's not really a story within the scope of the Bible that actually re-says Kind of exactly this, that there's demons locked up somewhere. Uh, in, in kind of the New Testament, they're, they're, they're out and about, uh, and they still are. But uh, anyway, he's pulling this. And then he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah and surrounding areas. Likewise, they became apostate. They fought for their own immoral sexual autonomy. Their primary sin was homosexuality. And it's always been interpreted like that until about 10 years ago. But I found a quote. It's rather long, but bear with it. Uh, I think it succinctly says it in a way that I can't. But I found this quote from an archaeologist, and uh, he's also a dean at a university. But um, his main study of archaeology was Sodom, uh, unearthing, kind of, re, kind of figuring out, man, what happened at Sodom, and so his archaeology career has kind of focused on the city of Sodom. And Stephen Collins, Dr. Stephen Collins, says this, As an archaeologist and historian, I think there's something that current apostate church leaders, be they theologians or ministers, have completely missed, of which they are either factually or willfully ignorant. Their tack on embracing alternative alternative sexual lifestyles always go something like this. The Bible was written in ancient cultural malus, and God accommodated Himself to the people of those cultures. Vis-a-vis, or in other words, we must therefore adapt to make Scripture relevant to our evolving culture, realizing that the New Testament writers spoke to their day. Similarly, we must adjust for and speak to our day. While this may sound logical and even reasonable, it is categorically wrong and entirely lacking in an understanding of history. Old Testament revelation came at a time when sexuality was fluid, unfettered, and wives were for keeping households and having and raising children. The sexual lives of men and women were often, if not usually, this of a same-sex nature, especially in the military context. This is what archaeology reveals and what the Old Testament presents as ancient, pagan reality. As Christianity eventually washed over the Roman world, Western culture shifted toward biblical morality. Judaism and Christianity were never accommodating to sexual perversion, but were clearly corrective to bring humankind in line with God's creative design. Now that Western culture is moving away from the Bible, society is returning to what had been old norms of sex without bounds. God's Old Testament and New Testament revelation are prescriptive and corrective. Lastly, to bend or reinterpret revelation to accommodate meandering sexual norms not only ignores why it was given in the first place, but it also strips revelation of its power to keep humanity from destructive perversion. The current sexual movement is nothing more or less than the norms of ancient sexual license and perversion rising up in the guise of evolving morality. It's as, if some, it's as if it's something noble and it is not. Take away the corrective scripture and humans readily return to their old vomit. Wow. Wow. There are two kingdoms. There always have been two kingdoms. God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. And it it, it should not shock us that the enemy would want to diminish and destroy the only thing on the planet that hurts him, which is the truth and the gospel of God and of his kingdom. And he'll do everything to diminish, destroy, question, doubt, tear it apart, all in the guise of you will experience more freedom on the other side of that. Every generation of God's people has this battle to assert and declare God's eternal truth and power over deceptive lies and the ideologies that sprout from them. Wow. So next, Jude reminds those in him of the danger that these people are to the church, and he speaks, these apostate teachers are to the church, and he speaks of the future judgment of these guys. Jude 12, these are worrisome spots. We're going to skip down, just summarize. He makes some further comments, but we're going to skip down to 12. These people are worrisome spots at your love feasts. Now, a love feast, just so you know, it's like, dude, what the heck is that? What the (laughs) heck's a love feast? Wait, question, (laughs) love feast, define please. Okay, we'll go ahead and do that. Um, So, back then, Church, when you got together, you would worship and you would hear apostles teaching and you would pray with one another. You would eat a whole meal to you would celebrate communion and then there would be a potluck every time you got together. Man, potlucks have been going for a long time, y'all, in the Christian church. But so they get together and it's just like family. They're creating just this kingdom family together. Well. After a while, there was, there was people that would kind of get in there, and they, they would just eat, eat all the food. It was, it was about them. They would just start consuming, and some people would just come in drunk, or some people would get drunk at the feast, and, and it just became this, this kind of like wild party, and there was a misunderstanding of like, God has forgiven you, but He's called you to a life of purity and holiness, not... Licentiousness, because it's forgiven. So, they called off the love feast. It kind of got out of control. Um, so they 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 changed it up. But here's there are some these people are worrisome spots at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. Meaning it's about them. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept by the winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied beholding, uh, saying behold the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly for all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way you think Jude is like, man, the, he sees ungodliness and he's talking about it because he uses it about five times. Um, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So he, so in a world today, God's, God judging behavior and thoughts for which we're going to give an account isn't even acknowledged in our society as a remote possibility. We've been told hell's a fabricated construct that couldn't be real. For we live in a postmodern, post-rational, it seems, world where people can't be sure of anything because truth has been taught as merely subjective experience. And yet when someone stands up to say, this is true and that is wrong, or this is right and that is false, they're almost immediately maligned and ridiculed. And in such an environment, having discernment is not welcome. In that environment, having the discernment from God is usually not welcome. But Jude provides discernment in spades. Jude gives us a list of uh, spiritual parables to illustrate what these corrupt leaders and who they influence, what they're like. He's like, they're like worrisome spots. Do you ever get dressed up? for a party, and you, you hold off on that one shirt, usually that white shirt or that white dress, and you're like, man, that's reserved for a special occasion. And then you put that thing on, and you go out for your night out on the town or whatever, and almost always what always happens on that white dress or white shirt, a spill. Gravy, soup, tomato juice, chili sauce, hot sauce, whatever, whatever you try, but it usually falls. Now, if you you try to wipe it off, but then for the rest of the night, what do you think about it? Everybody's looking at that spot. If you're around them, what are you looking? Hey, you might be all dressed up, nice and fancy, but man, that mustard stain on your tie, man, that's all I'm seeing. Well, that's what happens. Is that when people like this get into a community, it's kind of that's all is seen, is them. It's the them show. He equates them to clouds of water, carried by the winds, promises without fulfillment. Clouds with no rain, with no fruit. Trees without fruit, he said, twice dead. What is that? They're fruitless and rootless. The roots are pulled up. That means twice dead. I didn't know that, but hey, fruitless and rootless. There's nothing getting poured into them versus like the person who is like in, Psalms, or in Psalm 1, person who, let me get the exact quote because I mess it up all the time. Um, but he says, those who delight in doing what the Lord wants, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. That's not the life of these people that Jude is speaking of. He also equates them to wild waves. Speaks of their destructive nature. There's, there's form waves and there's storm waves. Form waves are what you surf on. Storm waves are what you get out, of the, get out of the way of. And when a storm wave hits the beach, if you've ever been around the ocean after a big storm hits, uh, sometimes they have to close the beach for two, two days, two to three days, just to clean up the toxic pollution and the refuse and the stuff that those storms washed up on that sea. And that's what apostate, it's just like, man, there's just, they just stir it up, stir up pollution. And then finally, wandering stars, meaning they're untrustworthy. Stars in the sky, any sea captain can navigate exactly where he needs to go because they are stationary and firm. But a wandering star, nobody can rely upon a wandering star. The church today, I would say, is more susceptible than ever to falling away. We as the church possess an enormous amount, enormous amount of biblical ignorance. We have that. We, there's tremendous amount of biblical ignorance. I mean, just compare it to a Christian book of today. And if you've read like a book that was written 100 years ago on like the faith, It's not even close. There's more sermons on how to be successful, living your best life, lifting up your self esteem, and creatively commentating on cultural fads. There are sermonettes, and sermonettes create Christianettes. But we, in this pivotal time in history, we have to have the real deal. We have to have a heart that says, God, give me some of that full-strength word. We need our souls fed and our lives made ready, not our emotions tickled. And it was at the point in my life where I had, I had lived long enough, I had played games long enough with the Lord, where finally there was a moment to say, God, I want all that you have for me. I want you to be in charge. I'm done. Call in the shots. Treasure. Your life that's built upon the truth of God. It's worth its weight in gold times a thousand. Treasure your life that's built upon the word of God and him. And don't settle for lifeless substitutes. It's what Paul's saying, or it's what Jude's saying here. Don't settle for lifeless substitutes. Church, come on, wake up. Don't fall away from the faith. This is the battle that every generation has and for us. We will fight in knowing that we are standing upon the rock of God's Word. Then Jude turns a corner here. Come on now, you made it this long? Let's land it with a little life. Amen? Come on. All right, Jude 20. But you, beloved, speaking or building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear. Huh. But you, beloved, Jude's saying, hey, these people may be falling, but you need to be standing. How do you stand when others are falling? And this is just kind of a, this is just an interesting thing. I've seen more people they may have grown up in church or they find God in college. They kind of start their, they, they start their journey with him. And then usually in between 25 and 35, some big curveball comes at them that they didn't expect. There wasn't on their faith radar or God's best radar. And something hits them or maybe two things. And that begins this long journey of ah, that wasn't what I thought this was. I thought God was going to rescue me from all my plight. No, he's leading you on a journey to infuse you with his Holy Spirit, and through your weakness and brokenness, he uses you and his people to bring discernment and life on the planet. That's what you're here for. And uh, so when when these things kind of happen in life, we begin to really question. And I'm telling you, go down that road. Don't run from that road. If there's a a place that God is bringing kind of a big wall or a wilderness, if he's led you out to wilderness, be in that wilderness with him. Don't run. Don't try to get distracted. Don't be like, well, I just wanted, this is really hard, God. Why? He's trying to get more of your heart. And we wonder why God feels so distanced because we keep running from the battles and the growth seasons that he wants to put us in. So how do you stand when others are falling? Jude says, build your faith. While others may be forsaking, we need to be fortifying. Build my faith. The second law of thermodynamics is anything that is is usually in, the, in a state of erosion, decay, or fragmentation. It's just a natural state. Just give it time, and it usually will erode. That's the same way with our faith. We have that second law of spiritual thermodynamics in that if we don't build our faith, you're either building or you're either deflating. You're either pumping or you're getting weak. And there's this thing about feeding yourself. If you're looking for Sunday morning to give you the goods for the life that God made you for, you will be sorely atrophied and not ready for the life that God has for you. So feed yourself. That's why we, so, we encourage it all the time. Man, feed, feed, feed. All right. Then he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Why does God like prayer? Why does Jude say, man, I have all this, this big battle over ideas and lies How do you fight it? Build your faith. Pray. Why pray? Why does God like prayer? Why do we pray? God loves dependence. Actually, he's drawn to dependence like a magnet because he says his strength is perfected in our weakness. He is drawn to it. And so we pray, God, we need you. I need you for this. My family needs you for that. Our country needs you for this. We're praying. We're interceding. God is attracted to weakness, and He's repelled by self-sufficiency. The Word says He resists the proud. And then lastly, use discernment. These, this last, have mercy on those who doubt, save others snatching, to others show mercy. He's encouraging us to use discernment to willingly and graciously exert mercy, love, truth as needed for the situation for that's what active love looks like what does this person need do they need to be grieved with man i'm gonna grieve with you man you're struggling man i'm gonna i'm gonna walk with you you're struggling with this you know doubt or question bro hit me come on there's no doubt or question that god's intimidated by so why are you getting racked by feeling ashamed by not even talking about it Come on, man, if we can't talk about it here, where can we? Let's talk about giving people what they need. Maybe they're in a struggle or an issue that they just need somebody to kind of throw up on and and like walk with them. Jude's like, man, whatever they need, as you build up your faith and as you pray, you're going to have discernment and you're going to see opportunity to serve and love people. And then there's some sins that Will kill people that will destroy marriages that will destroy lives. That's where, like, hey, your love needs to turn on strong. Then you actually have to say something really firmly because it's going to destroy them, it's going to kill them. So, are you is your tool ready to swing? What's needed? Is it a driver from your, you know, is it a big old driver needs a little, you know, big old hit boom. Or does it, or does a person just need a little putter of truth? Just a little putter of truth, and that's all. But that's the kind of skill set God wants to equip his people out in the world of what does people, what do people need? God, build my golf bag of what I can bring to people. Sorry to reduce it down to a golf club, but there you go. Um, and then lastly. Jude 24 and 25. It's beautiful, and we'll end on this. He says, verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you brainless before the presence of his, whole, of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. In this, Jude draws us up here at the end to elevate our view of the battle, not just from an earthly perspective, but draws us up to the heavenly realm. We're in a battlefield, like I said, between two kingdoms. And as we can see, there have been, are and will continue to be people who manipulate and alter God's will and way for their own ends or to the bend or bend to culture, but as God's people. We must muster our faith in the faith so that we can not only continue to build God's kingdom in this generation, but also defend the faith as growing and maturing disciples. And that's why we're here. That's what the church is for, is to train and equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that's all of us being God's people, God's Reconciliation agents On the planet And if you haven't noticed uh, Humanity needs a lot Of reconciliation With God and with each other And it's only in Christ That we can see that Made possible and in reality Walked out, amen So let's pray Lord God thank you for Just this word from Jude As we chewed on it As we God, just pulled what we could. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would speak to our hearts. God, if there's certain things that, Lord, we came in here and maybe this was kind of a hard, really hard word, Lord, I pray that you would be with us in our questioning, be with us as we, as we kind of work this out in our heart. Lord, I also pray that you would just be with um, our, the Spirit um, in us. God, that we would be your healing agents and reconciliation agents. Lord, we don't do that through activism. We do that through service and laying our life down for others because, God, that's what really changes culture. That's what changes families. Is God, when we get loved on that way and we can turn around and love others because, God, we're in desperate need of your style and type of love. So, Lord God, we just thank you for this moment that we're in, and I pray that we could see that it's a, mo- it's a great time to be alive. Not a time to hide, but a time to stand strong for the God who made us, the God who redeems us, and the God who will come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.